0: Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell, and this is Pod Have Mercy. And this, this Pod Have Mercy. is Pod Have Mercy. Welcome, Matt.
1: Thanks, John. Welcome to you.
0: <laughs> it's a busy day today on the on the campus of the church. We got the first time a lot of people are coming back. We're doing some yeah some some antibody testing. Yeah, uh, f- hosting that for some some groups and some of our staff doing that, but. So it's it's actually going to be uh, good to see people. I mean, mm. even through a mask, uh, socially distanced, but not on yeah. Zoom. I don't know that there's. I mean, I've seen I see you a lot, but yeah, some people I don't know on no. staff that I haven't seen for like eight weeks. It's crazy. But it's crazy. That yeah. that that'll be good. Well, today, today we're actually talking about a, a couple of different things. Um, let's call this the Potpourri. <laughs> you know, on, on the on, and they're and they're both they're both serious. Uh, mm. One has to do with. You know, all this stuff is going on in the world and things are reopening and, and um, the whole coronavirus thing has become this culture war and it really is impacting yeah. how churches reopen. And so I want us to spend some time just reflecting on what it is that churches have to think about that are different than other businesses. You know what I mean by that? Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. That's right. And I think it's really, we're wrestling through that both kind of the church and a culture. And I think the wisdom of the church that says, you know, we're not here for the bottom line. We're not, as you say, a spa or a salon. We're here, we're here to be the soul of a community. And how do we do that in soulful ways?
0: Yeah. And protecting the vulnerable among us and the, and the most vulnerable among us are the ones that are going to going to want to be back and find the most value in the community that we have together. So I, you know, not only are you and I got to talk about it, but I invited two of my very good friends that we have been in a, a group together for, man, it'll be soon 20 years. Wow. Uh, Jimmy Asbell, mm. who is the senior pastor at Vineville United Methodist Church in Macon, Georgia, which is mm. right in the middle of Georgia. Okay. And then Shane Green, who is the pastor of St. Paul United Methodist Church in Columbus, Georgia, which is on the Chattahoochee River. On the western border of Georgia, but still in middle Middle Georgia, and they're two pretty good sized towns of about three hundred thousand each. So, like a Savannah, and I just thought, you know, with Georgia in the news and Texas in the news, I thought they'd be really good good, uh, to talk about churches and what we're dealing with. Great, you and I have talked a little bit, and it's been in the news with uh, Ahmad Arbery in Mm. what was my former hometown uh, in Brunswick, Georgia. St. Simon's Island, Sea Island, people may not know, that's the same city. It's the same area. So this now national story of his death is really uh, impactful for me because it's so directly impactful to so many people I know well and mm-hmm. I love well. And um, so I want, us to, I want us to reflect on that yeah. a little bit because... At least in the limited way that we're able to
1: Right. I think it's really important to begin to and continue to put these things central and to wrestle with them as a community and as uh um as as folks that desire to to be involved in kind of these these wider relationships in our city and our world. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to, to, to talking more about this in the coming uh weeks and months too. They
0: may they may be totally not connected topics, but you know Yeah. God have mercy. We'll, God have mercy. we we'll figure out <laughs> how to make it work. I'd be interested, you guys are in Georgia, so you're in a very similar situation. You're talking about, you know, you and I, you guys and I have talked a lot about, gosh, just all the factors that go into reopening. And, you know, with the church, we think about the least and the most vulnerable among us too. And so that's part of a consideration, not just whether you can open, but should you open. I'm just curious where you guys are uh, Jimmy Asbell, you're in Macon, Georgia, at Vineville Methodist, and Shane, you're in Columbus, Georgia, at Saint Paul Methodist, huh. which are two pretty good sized cities in South Georgia and Middle Georgia. W- what are your thoughts? What are you considering? Where are you in this process? I know none of us are ready to say what we're going to do today, but what are your considerations?
2: Well, we're still we're still watching numbers that um, are not declining. Um, we haven't had seven days. Uh, with decreased cases or decreased deaths, much less 14. So um, we're, you know, we're, we're struggling a little bit with the gating criteria. Um, it gives us, we think, more time to work on the church, but I, I think you're absolutely right that just because we can doesn't mean we should. Um, there are a lot of things that are legal, but they're not necessarily good for us. Uh-huh. Um, and so we're, we're trying to hedge on the side of protecting uh, people um, uh, in some cases from themselves, because some of my most vulnerable folks are the most eager to come because they're, they're duty driven, uh, in a lot of ways. Mm. They're the, you can't keep me down kind of folks. And, um, and they really are chomping at the bit to be here, even though they, they might be the very ones we need to protect from somebody else or even from themselves. So we're going slow. Yeah, I would agree
3: with that. I mean, uh, if you look at the numbers in Georgia, um, they're basically Muscogee County, which is the county that Columbus uh, is in, and then Bibb County, uh, which is Macon, Georgia. Uh, The numbers are almost the same. I mean, they're off by maybe just a few hospitalizations. Uh, um, We're in no hurry. I definitely don't want to be the first church to open. I don't want to be the last church. Um, But our numbers have not... I mean, if they plateaued, it's, it's still a, a slight positive uh, trend of a plateau. And so we're, we have the same issue that, that Jimmy discussed and, and talked about with, you know, if we have freedom to open, to kind of use that first Corinthian principle, don't want to use our freedom to hurt another person. Yeah. So we're, we're, um, we're, we're meeting with our staff and our church leaders and just identifying all the different variables and problems and obstacles And then once we uh, feel like we've got a good handle on that, uh, then we think that would probably be a prudent time to reopen. But we're not in a hurry to do
0: it. Hmm. What do you think about church peer pressure? This is created
1: (laughs) 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 neighborhood church. It's the neighborhood church
0: peer pressure because we had a, You know, a big church here, right around the corner from us, opened, and you know, uh, the lieutenant governor was at the service and you know, made a comment, I think it was on the video, I'm not speaking out of turn. He said, you know, I just want to applaud your courage to the senior pastor. A lot of pastors, you know, don't have the courage to open. And I just, I'm like, wow, I mean, it's like you're going to get shamed, you know. (laughs) Shame on you that you haven't, you don't have enough faith in Jesus to open yet.
3: (laughs) Well, I think that's real. Uh, I, I know in Columbus, um, you know, at least with the other large uh, Methodist churches, a number of the pastors are, uh, you know, trying to make some decisions. Even though it's a local decision, we're trying to make it in concert with some of the other uh, large church pastors in Columbus, and then to sort of broaden that out, uh, uh, just with the other churches in South Georgia, so that um, if there is some safety in numbers, you know, we want to be relatively close together.
2: Yeah, and we've we've talked about it here and. And I had a pastor say to me, you know, the other day that uh, that they um, they agreed in in holding out um, through all of June and maybe even into part of July, uh, but uh, but if the churches around them opened sooner, um, it would get harder to resist that pressure. The longer it went, and and I think that's a reality that um, you know, if if you're the if you're in the minority, people begin to say, well, why, you know, why can't we do it if they do it? Um, Even though the variables of building, worship size, congregational makeup, all those things could be wildly different. Um, But just the idea of they're open, we're not um,
0: creates that pressure, I think. Hmm. Uh, Christian Washington, who's pastor of our Upper Room community, texted me a while ago. He was on a call with a pastor of a large church in California. They have 2,700 people a Sunday they have already made a decision not to meet at least until there is a vaccine. So yeah. that it's at you least know, I heard January. There's another
3: church in Columbus. Sorry. There's another church in Columbus that, uh, I mean, not Columbus, but in South Georgia that have said the same thing that they're, they're not planning to meet until everybody can meet together. Wow, And uh, you know, which is, I think probably uh, that might be on the, the other end of extreme um, to some degree. I think a lot of it just depends on how you, when you reopen, how you reopen, um, what information your church members have. You know, I don't think, I think once you, I hope this is just my plan. Once we lay out all the obstacles and variables that are a part of making a decision, um, you know, I hope that that sort of wins the day and that people realize it's just not as easy as turning on a, a light switch and, and pretending like we're back in February.
1: Yeah. That's what Mark Boom has said to us, too. That it's, it's, I like that analogy. It is more like a dimmer switch. And it, it feels like at least the way I see John leading us is really uh, at the pace of guidance, you know, because there is a rush to want to get back. And then there's this kind of, there's this, um, You know, the CDC rules are different. You know, the White House House rules are different. You know, there's all these kind of competing kind of voices. And it feels like that, you know, there's a spiritual core that's attempting to move at the pace of guidance that says, yes, we want to come back together. But also we're here for the common good. There's other values that are at stake. And I feel like that there's a lot of things that end up kind of getting in the mix of these voices that really don't have much to do with the common good, but more about, you know, personal freedom and rights and who's going to get there first and all those kinds of things. It makes it really uh, an ugly mess, at least, um, at least on the Twitter, Twitter sphere.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, it was funny. I was reading, I, I I'm thinking a lot today about what guides our decisions. You know, on the one hand, yeah. you know, there's the science you were talking, Jimmy, about, you know, we haven't had the seven days or the 14 days. But even beyond that for us, there's got to be something way bigger and more comprehensive that mm-hmm. guides us. Yeah. And it's making us think I was I was reading again. I started reading again. Uh, Thomas Merton, No Man's is an Island. And, you know, he says, uh, you know, we are instinctive, instinctively gifted at watching how other people experience themselves we're imitators we learn by living with others and by living like them but that's good and bad and the bad is that we're too prone to welcome everybody else's wrong solutions to the problems of life we have this natural laziness that moves us to accept the easiest solutions and i see that at work right now yeah it's like yeah. somebody just figure this out for me yeah yeah and we're having to think and work and make real hard critical decisions uh but I think I'd would ra- rather be lazy right now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> will you just tell me what to do, please, Jimmy? Just tell me what to do.
2: <laughs> then we can blame it on you, Jimmy. Yeah, but your are <laughs> That's the
0: that's the problem
2: uh, is that uh, not only do we, we don't know and we don't want to be the canary in the coal mine, you know. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's not just a risk of a you know a bad Sunday or a bad program. I mean, this is this is could be fatal. And so it, it ups the ante. Uh, and I, I know, you, I know that you have sweated over it, uh, you know, all of us, you know, up at night and wondered and early and read. And, you know, uh, I spent today, I read every document I could find, 177 pages from all the bishops that have issued statements, the Presbyterians, Episcopalians, yeah. trying to find that lazy solution. Or yeah. at least the best practices from a lot of different places. Yeah. Um, so,
0: well, it is good. I don't have it, it, John. Yeah. Well, <laughs> how about you, Shane? Tell me what to do.
2: Well, <laughs> you know,
3: that's a. It's actually, uh, it's a larger issue, not just on you know when and how a church should reopen. I mean, if you just look at the the issues that uh, are part of church life, uh, our society, human nature. I mean, there is this sense of, I want someone else to, to do it for me. Uh, that sort of absolves me of culpability. Uh, and, um, but I, you know, I don't think that's the healthiest thing to do. Mm. I think at some point, um, you know, we, we've been sort of, I've been talking a, a fair amount to my congregation about uh, the whole concept of Sabbath. And just that Sabbath is really, I mean, it's, a, it's an act of courage, too, to, yeah. to live to a different rhythm and, um, and, and a rhythm that is guided by, obviously, a relationship with God. And, you know, and part of that would be caring for mm-hmm. self, caring for other people, the whole do no harm, do good. So, you know, I've tried to condition and at least paint the picture for our congregation that, um, you know, when it's prudent, when it's right, when it's good, you know, the the church is still here now uh, with what we're doing online. The church will be here tomorrow. And, but it's okay to learn a different rhythm for a period of time because at some point, say in the future, when, you know, hope and pray, vaccination, and we get back on the other side of this and our life uh, operates at the same speed, you know, that it normally operates at that, you know, we're going to long for this slower pace of life. Yeah. I mean, if we fast forward two years from now, you know, there's going to be part of us going, Oh, why didn't I take advantage of this?
1: Yes. Yeah. That's really true. I love that um, that really Sabbath is an act of courage, right? And so that really is about trust as an act of courage, this trust of this God that says that there's an alternative reality that um, that you need to wrestle with and live into. And I see us as a church, you know, uh, writ large, you know, as a as a as a global church wrestling with that. Saying, how do we trust? Um, take our, our, the concerns of our, um, our congregations into the mix as well? And then how do, we, um, how do we begin to discern what is the right path forward? I, I really think this is a, an exercise almost in, um, in contextual theology. You know what I mean? It's in the context. I mean, how do we work this out where we are? Because I don't think, like y'all are saying, I don't think there's going to be any one-size-fits-all um, um, answer you know? And so we do as, is as John has kind of said, we were working out our faith of fear and trembling here, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Um, Are y'all seeing more people intersecting on a weekly basis with the online? We, we are, um, our numbers are up significantly, um, and,
2: um, and engagement through that, whether that's, uh, asking for responses to things, prayer, uh, you know, emailing prayer requests. So not just, uh, passive views, but engagement, um, as we've tried to tease that out of folks, um, is, up um, significantly, um, you know, it's fallen off a little bit the last two weeks. Um, uh, our numbers have been a little bit down, but, uh, it's the post Easter slump, I guess.
3: Yeah, it's the same here, uh, at St. Paul. Um, I mean, I, when I do, uh, interact with people, you know, uh, during the week, People, I mean, they're watching every week. They're engaging in uh, some Bible studies that we're doing online. And these would be the people that, uh, you know, would be maybe once a monthers or things like that. Uh, uh, but they're, you know, there's something to the convenience factor of, um, you know, they can worship like similar to what Vineville and, and Chapelwood, uh, what they both do with film a service. and They rebroadcast it multiple times throughout the, the Sunday um i mean it's we see i've seen a, a fair amount of of engagement
0: you know um uh, one of the things that we is in a consideration for us we're talking about is like okay well let's say we could get back quick but you had to wear a mask you had to sit 6 feet apart you had to skip every other row you can't sing <laughs> The service is going to be compressed to forty minutes because we have to spend forty-five minutes between services cleaning. You, you can't hug, and each so you other. do all this, and you are like, "Okay, we're actually now learning to do a service online better." Yeah, with it, that's actually right. engaging people, focusing on people who are out there online, and then all of a sudden, it's like to me, also turning it on too quick. We go back to like a worship service. I hate to say it, this crappy. And and you still have three quarters of your people watching online going, wow, it was actually getting pretty good. And now it stinks. And (laughs) the people who are there are like, you know, this wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. So there's an argument for waiting until why would you come back if you can't sing? Right. And and if you if you take singing out of the congregation,
2: um, to me, um, there's sort of a. Um, ecclesial theologic, theology of worship kind of issue is that That's right. liturgy is supposed to be the work of the people. The work of the people. And <laughs> if they yep. can't sing, yep. then we're, we're teaching, we're modeling the very thing that we all dislike, and that is worship as a spectator sport.
1: That's right. Uh, we don't
2: want them to come and sit, but this new model that we might have to do for a number of months to be together might be ingraining the very practice that we don't want. That's right. Um, awesome. We don't want them to come and watch. Uh, we want them to engage. I wonder also if
1: this kind of constriction to go back though it is kind of short changes some of the innovation that the church is being forced to wrestle with right now. Right. And so I know I'm, um, at chapel, I'm sure it is the same at, at y'all's churches too. And the Bible study that I'm leading on Fridays, we've got folks from not just Houston, but really kind of all over now that would never have gotten to know each other from you know California and and Tennessee and other places around, right? That are now forming community, and it seems like, and they're forming community not just on Fridays. They're now in touch with each other, you know. And this is these these are the kind of things that would not have happened. You know, and I'm just wondering if, in this stage, if we don't, if we don't constrict back over the old right now, if we can hold that space open against our own anxieties, what innovative things the church might um, move forward in that we would never imagine if we, um, if we didn't do it this way.
3: We we started, uh, and I think it gives every church an opportunity to rethink small groups, and you know that could be small group Sunday school, small group off campus during the week, and. Uh, We uh, sort of unveiled this small group ministry or sort of an additional to the groups that we already have. This was probably about uh, 2018, 2019. And part of what we're thinking about when we do reopen is to really think about how we can, uh, you know, use that type of ministry as a means to meet that community. Because what what you're talking about is people want community, whether it be 70, 80, 20. I mean, and the, the sort of scratching that relational component of of human nature. Um, you know, Matt, you mentioned something I thought was interesting about, you mentioned the idea of patience and, mm. uh, you know, and John talked about there's something inside of us that wants to reopen everything so it can feel normal again. Yeah. You know, I, I've been sort of just writing and thinking about just the overwhelming you know, the sort of compare and contrast with fear and control. And so, so much, I think, of what we're battling is, you know, we're out of control. You know, we feel like everything's out of control and and life, something else is dictating our patterns and, you know, wondering what, what it would be like if we sort of leaned into this whole time of social distancing and realized that it do doesn't necessarily have to control us. We can sort of control how we respond to all this. I haven't got it all worked out yet, you know, so, uh, but I, but I think there's a component to all this.
0: So one other uh, beautiful. quote, Merton says, anxiety is a mark of spiritual insecurity. Hmm. Yeah, that.
3: so you 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 cleaned me up a little bit. Put some uh, <laughs> well, no, you you uh, you anyway actually, theologian on it. So. No, you, you <laughs> walked
0: right into Merton. So he said it's the fruit of okay. Uh, you, you, you set it up. You segued perfect. He said it's the okay. fruit the fruit of unanswered questions. But the questions are only unanswered if they're unasked. And I think it's kind of like we're yeah. avoiding asking questions. We want to get back so we don't have to ask hard questions in life. So, I mean, I think there's yeah. so much that can be good here, but I'm kind of ready to, for some normalcy, <laughs> kind of re- <laughs> ready to go back.
3: Well, I, you know, I had a, my, my daughter's a senior. I have a senior in high school and Jimmy just had one that graduated from college. And, Jimmy
0: has a son uh, just graduated from the university of Georgia. Wow. And you got Shane, yeah. your seniors going to Belmont. Is that right?
3: i got. Yeah, I've got one at, at Kennesaw State now, where Jimmy's younger son attends, and then I've got one that'll be shipping off to Belmont, and That's Nashville, right. for their music program coming mm. up in the fall. Hopefully, if you know if all things works out. But she she informed me, uh, let's say today's what Tuesday Sunday night that she had had enough of the coronavirus. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, of course. Um, yeah. yeah, she was she
3: was re- <laughs> she was ready for normal life. And uh you know was about ready to just say I, "I'm done with it."
0: yeah so last last word from you guys. what are uh something we haven't asked, something we haven't talked about, something that's on your mind, your heart as you're thinking about mm-hmm. moving in these directions what's your uh what's your wisdom as we as we go? See, I put you on the spot I'll let they, you I, this is a trick question because they don't have any here, wisdom so. <laughs> there's no wisdom coming from them. <laughs> Uh, that's exactly right. Uh-oh.
3: Hey, I'm sorry, y'all breaking up for a little bit. You know, so.
2: uh, well, I, I think, you know, we you mentioned earlier that like wearing the mask um, has become in some places a, a political symbol or it's been divisive. Um, um, you know, I, I, I talked to a pastor in uh, Alabama um, this last week that wore a mask, was retired, going to preach for a colleague and and in the in the truck stop where they stopped to get a cup of coffee before going into the place had' on, she had on her mask but somebody came over got elbow to elbow with her um, and then reached out and touched the top of the cup um, just just sort of a little mask bullying um, if you would to sort of and it was sort of that political um, kind of motivation and, and so I think it's a chance for us to Um, Think about, um, you know, Colossians three to clothe yourself in love, which binds things together Uh, in perfect harmony that, um, you know, to think that even even if we are of that ilk, and that's the way we think politically, that there's a higher calling that says, we've got to act differently. And um, Mm. so, you know, that's Something I've been wrestling with, watching it unfold and hearing some of those stories. That is a That's great beautiful. word,
0: Shane. Can you uh, yeah. top that? Yeah, up at Shane, come on, bring it.
2: Uh, you know,
3: <laughs> I, 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 I had a few, but I was going to, you know, I was going to save that for just another time. Uh, you
0: know,
3: uh, I, but I think I think there's some truth to what Jimmy said. I mean, you don't you don't have to treat people yeah. the way you know they're treating others, mm-hmm. and that that has nothing to do with the political stance or where where you're out right. on the spectrum um you know sometimes loving people is to make a hard decision even when they they're not when they're acting as if they're unlovable mm-hmm. and i think the church should rise above all that and regardless of where they sit on any spectrum and use this as an opportunity to to care for all that are that are in her midst and uh i mean i hope that's what we all do um, mm. more than anything else. Well, listen, y'all be safe, and uh, thank, thanks for the call, John.
0: Yeah, man, love you guys, and I'll talk to you soon. Blessings. Yeah. Keep Take Georgia sane. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> we didn't get to it, but I was going to ask, because I know
1: Georgia's in the hot seat right now for the, the shooting that happened back in February. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I, I didn't know if they So you
0: do that. know that city, that's the city I moved here from.
1: What, th- where it happened? Mm-hmm. Really?
0: Yeah, so St. Simon's Island and Sea Island. Brunswick is the mainland city from the island. Wow. I've driven by that Satilla Shores neighborhood a million times.
1: Well, what was your reaction whenever you first heard about that story?
0: Well, I didn't hear about it until I actually saw the video. And then mm. seeing the video Oof. was devastating. I mean, it's, but then it just, you know, look. I love that area and I love Georgia, but there is a, there is a profound still, there's still a profound sense of racism that exists and it's not always even subconscious. I mean, it's just conscious. You know, you go like my daughter went to Glenn Academy high school. It's integrated high school, but then you also have Brunswick high school. And it's a very different place. So when you go to a basketball game at Brunswick High School, there's this literal sort of crossing of the tracks Mm. um, experience. And that's in a lot of South Georgia cities. When I was in Dublin, Georgia, I mean, literally, not figuratively, you, you you go into downtown. So if you live on the north side of the railroad tracks downtown, you know, that's where the city is. Once you cross over and go to the south side, it's a completely different neighborhood. And it's, I mean, the African Baptist church was on the south side of the railroad tracks, mm. whereas the white Baptist church and Presbyterian church and Methodist church are on the north side of the railroad tracks. Wow. And they're not even a mile from each other, not half a mile from each other. But so there's, um, you know, there, there are things that we talk about, we try to say, you know, yes, it's better than it used to be, but mm. it's still, it is still real, still yeah. present. And so when I see this happening... You know, there's a part of me. You know, it just it breaks you open. Yes, because you you want to think that doesn't happen anymore, but it does, and it's not surprising in some no, ways. No, the, the thing that was different about this was uh, this was not a police officer. You know, this these were it was a former um, officer of the court or something, of the DA or, the something. or something. But then you start looking at the systemic problems of of a district attorney's office and, um, you know, that refuses to like really push the investigation because they had a relationship with these, with this guy who'd been a police officer. And, and then, um, you know, no charges are filed. And then even after that district attorney recuses, uh, themselves, the office, the other, office doesn't really look into the conflict of interest between the district. So there's that. And so you you find now that the Georgia, the GBI is asking the Department of Justice to intervene. And these are the things that they're looking at, not just why weren't these guys arrested? Yes. And people could say, well, there wasn't a video. Well, even beyond that, from the beginning, even without a video, there's a lot of issues of how it was not handled appropriately. Yeah. Right. And, and that then speaks to... There's this favoritism. There's like, if, you know, and, and I think that's real in, in any situation. If you have a former police officer, there's this sort of these codes and these relationships and, uh, you know, I'll take your word. All right. And, and my understanding, and I don't, again, this, I'm repeating repeat this second hand, but I know the lawyer to the Arbery family mentioned that what his mother was told was that he was shot in the in the act of ro- of robbery, shot by the homeowner while he was robbing it? When well, we know that's not that's the not case, true. yeah, it never happened. So, and again, that's I'm I'm repeating something that I don't know, if, but I'm I'm just saying that's what he said yeah. that that she was told.
1: Yeah, that, that's really interesting to me, John, because I I mean I think as we. It'd be interesting to how to, how to, as a body of Christ to engage with this, because that it's, it's so um, difficult and inflammatory and there's so much resist I feel so much resistance even in, you know, to, to look at those things um, in my, my own self and as a, as a, as a culture, because of um, the implications of that, I, I think what my, um African American, my black and brown friends have been talking to me about even in COVID, the way that, you know, there is more um more deaths amount around black and brown bodies than there have been around white, you mm-hmm. know, and that so disproportionate number of deaths exists within that community. And I'm um um and so the rush to get back, you know, um for some of our black and brown communities uh, appears to be like oh it's it's our bodies um and so you know you're not as worried about those so i just think you know your um your encouragement for us to move at the pace of guidance allows for us to move in a way that um uh, with with with, with to to put on kindness, to
0: put on love, to really begin to reflect in a way that, what does this look like for us as a body? I think that, I think you and I have talked about this and I think we were moving in the direction originally when we started, how can we have conversations around, you know, a lot of these issues. Um, And then of course, coronavirus came upon us, but I still think there's a a place to talk about the inequities in that as it affects this. I think to have the conversations, inappropriate way is to have, uh, people, it's, it's one thing for us to talk about our experiences of it, but to have black and Brown people sharing their experiences of it. And for us to be able to put ourselves in a position to listen.
1: This is where I think the, the spiritual disciplines of curiosity Um, um, have to become forefront in the discussions of what it means to be the church in the 21st century, right? And so what got us to the 21st century will not sustain our spirituality into the 21st century. We really have to become much more um, curious about um um, what people are carrying, how they got to that place, what they're freighted with in their own histories. I, um, I think I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago as we were dropping off food um, from uh, the food distribution center up in a, um, at Fairhaven and up into Northern Spring Branch. I met with a group of these students and asked them how they're doing. And one of the kids and I asked them how their school was going. Uh, and this uh, this junior in high school said, sir, it's been really hard for me to study because I'm so hungry. And, and this is uh, three miles from where I live, you know, and I, I have sat with that and thought about that um, every day. Uh, wondering uh, what it means to be uh, a, a pastor, a Christian, a human being in Spring Branch, in Houston, in this time, knowing that there's high school students that don't have enough food and they can't study. Mm-hmm. That, that, to me, isn't a necessarily a sociological problem. It's a, um, It seems to be a, um, a crisis of our spiritual imagination. And I, I just wonder.
0: It's just unfortunate to me that... Many of the people that I know that live in Brunswick and Saint Simon, Sea mm-hmm. Island, they 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 are they are going through this now. Yes. And they are they're furious. I mean, they are they're running with Maud, you know. Everybody's running the two point six miles or the two point three okay. miles. Right, right. You know. And good friend of mine that was, you know, on staff, David, and they've been a lot of people that have been speaking out. And I don't say this in any way against any of them, but it's like these issues were there before and they just kind of existed now it's brought to the forefront and so um it's just it's not a good exchange his life for a greater awareness of right of the the racial right. disparity that right. happens it's just right. not a good trade off right. when i when i look at that video you know there there's no way it doesn't matter look it doesn't even matter if he was stealing fishing tackle out of a house. First off, he didn't have anything on him. Yes. <laughs> he had nothing. Guys running. He was running. Yeah. So it doesn't matter, but it didn't even matter if he was. He you know, right. he wasn't armed and you have two guys, you know, that, that confront him. I mean, call the police. Yeah. You know, right. but of course even, you know, that becomes yes. problematic. No, it does. Uh, and that's it, why I think you have to have the voices of the people that are most affected. Yeah. You know, we. you and I have talked about having those voices on this podcast and we've just gotten you know the got sucked under the corona (laughs) but i think it would be good to have conversations not only about this situation but about in in this pandemic how that affects um how that affects and the disparities that we experience and that's a different conversation to think in terms of you know who's ripped ready rip roaring to get back to work and get back out and do all these sorts of things. Right. Well, they're going to be people that are not as threatened by right. some of the stuff. That's right. You know, yeah, this conversation <laughs> uh, uh, today. I mean, I was thinking about um, mm. the stuff that we were talking about reopening, but yeah. then, you know, it's also appropriate to talk about what's happening in Brunswick, Georgia, but you know, I've, I've been loving plowing through Merton again. And I love this. He says for the Christian Salvation is a very simple thing, but when we analyze how we live it out in the world, we find a tangle of paradoxes. Yeah. He says, we yeah. become ourselves yeah. by dying to ourselves. Yes, We gain only what we give up. Yeah. If we give up everything, we gain everything. We cannot find ourselves within ourselves, but only in others. Yet, before we can go out to others, we must first find ourselves. We must forget ourselves, to become truly conscious of who we are. And the best way to love ourselves is to love others. Yet we cannot love others unless we love ourselves. We cannot even begin to look for God unless we found him. And we cannot find God unless he found us first. We cannot begin to seek him without a special gift of his grace. Yet if we wait for his grace to move us before beginning to seek him, we probably will never begin. (laughs) And Merton Merton says, does this sound crazy? Yes, it
1: is.
0: He said, it's supernatural. And we have to reach out to embrace both extremes of the contradiction at the same time to answer the problem of salvation. Yes. All answers that are not supernaturally saturated in love are imperfect, for they only embrace one of the contradictory terms. And they can always be denied by the other.
1: That's, that's fantastic.
0: Well, uh, he's, he's Merton. I mean, of course he's fantastic. But I think that, you know, um, gosh, I just think it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal. If you're Christian, you have to be guided by a different set of values. Yes,
1: yeah. And, and supernatural is different than superhuman, right? When I sometimes I think oh, supernatural, oh, I can't do that. Super supernatural just means to say that there is there that the spirit of the living God would like to um, to open up a different path, right? And if if as as we've been talking about in the Gospel of John with blind eyes seeing, you know mm. um, that this is new sight to see a new path to see new relationships. And that's the supernatural way. And I love what he says about it has to be saturated in love. Mm. I mean, that's that's something to tattoo on our bodies somewhere. You know, how um, how do I saturate these these decisions that we're making? These well, I think in, it's in appropriate
0: love. for both conversations. Not only yeah. when do you reopen a church, but also how do you have conversations about racial disparity and inequality? Is is this yeah. you know embracing both ends of the yeah. contradictory terms that that exist in life. Yeah. And you know, we get so comfortable in our one end of the spectrum that we we don't consider the other and I love what he says, you know, or he didn't say this, I said that, you know, we're not we're not a day spa. We're not a hair salon. <laughs> We're not a restaurant. So when people start <laughs> looking at society opening yeah, yeah. up and they're getting like, well, my- <laughs> that's not what we are, yes. right? You know, what we are mm-hmm. is a church. He said, you know, Merton says, we do not exist for ourselves no. alone. That's right. It is right. only when we are fully convinced of this fact that we begin to love ourselves properly and thus also love others. Yeah. We will go into reopening with the mentality of how do we best love others who will be here among us who are the most vulnerable. Yeah,
1: that's right. I, I love that, John, because we could gain the whole world in this, right? And we could lose our utter souls of what it means to be um, 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 a walking around body of Christ in the world. And and I think that's what I continually hear you helping us struggle with is how do we maintain what it means to be the soul of a community, hmm. you know, what does it mean? What does that mean? So sure we can reopen if we're taking our cure, our cues from a hair salon or a day spa that you say is not our Ecclesia. That's not what it means to be the body of Christ. <laughs> so how, what does it mean to have and to invest in a soul of a community?
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. You get me all worked up here. Uh, I didn't mean to get you worked up. So you on, <laughs> what did you do? What did you do on mother's day?
1: Oh, dude. I almost called to see if you wanted to come help. Um, <laughs> my, <laughs> come help what? My wife had a, had us had like demo this entire like concrete structure on the side of our house. It was a bunch of pavers that had been there for 50 years. And um, and so it had to be, I don't know, 500 pounds or more of, of, <laughs> of just concrete that we ended up like demoing, then tearing out, and then taking to a dumpster. And so that's what I did, did John. That one, was that
0: what Michelle wanted?
1: To do? Michelle said, yeah. I said, what, what would you like to do? She'd like, well, I, I have this uh, I have this little uh, project that I'd like to, to
0: to get all my boys to wow. help with. I'm like, I'm i hope in. Michelle doesn't take this personally, but I'm really glad I'm married to Stephanie, because I said, what do you want to do? She goes, well, i just like to sleep late, maybe have brunch outside on the back porch. Um, just kind of be with my family, hang out, do nothing. I'm like, yes.
1: I'm with you, honey. <laughs> I'm coming to spend a Mother's Day at your house next, next year. <laughs>
0: I do have a picture for you, Jeff, if I, if I can send it to you. So this is, um, this was, I don't know how, it, how to connect with anything. This is my, oh yeah, I did come through. So, so here's so you know, this is. Uh, what is this? This is my brother's taking this picture. Okay. That's my mother. So this is the first time that she has had company over to her house. They're in the garage having Mother's Day lunch. They brought lunch, but she's sitting at a table way across the garage. I love which that. I'm not laughing because I think that's great. I think that's, that's wonderful that she's safe, but I just I found that fascinating. So this was my opportunity to. And of course, then we facetimed them because I thought Stephanie and I thought that it was staged. We thought they were pulling our legs, so we FaceTime and sure enough uh, she's like yeah I'm sitting over here so she so, even uh, has is that a bottle of Purell on her oh yeah, yeah she sure does See, she's got yeah she she's does got Purell
1: and a handgun just so anybody gets close <laughs> so I say, that's I a "That's <laughs> a handgun <yeah. laughs> you know we had a we had somebody come over uh that's a dear friend that it is, uh has some health issues um and um uh, has been in her apartment for six weeks doing her work and all that kind of stuff. And she came over feeling really good. Um, and Michelle hugged her. Um, and it was the first time she'd had contact with any human being, physical contact in six weeks. And she just stood in our uh, driveway and just broke down crying. Cause it just, it hit her that this is the first time anyone has touched me in six weeks. And, um, and just broke open. And so we just, it was, it was, It was an odd thing that my driveway became this kind of holy place (laughs) in that touch. you know. And I think whatever communion is, um, there was uh, something broken open there. I think how many folks are hungry for that as well.
0: Well, I want to thank you uh, and uh, my friends for joining. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, John. It's good to see you. Yeah, we'll do it again soon. Yeah. I'm John Stevens.
1: And I'm Matt Russell.
0: And this is Pod Have Mercy.